Now, we believe the Bible is divinely inspired, written by God, and that in it, God speaks to us today. So would you stand with me as we turn in the Sermon on the Mount to Matthew chapter 6, and I will read beginning in verse 25. Jesus is speaking, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, much, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You may be seated. Now, we've entitled this series, The Upside-Down Kingdom, which is exactly what the sermon is all about. When Jesus flips uh, the normal cultural values upside down and inside out and invites us to live new values out in our shared life with him. Values that are countercultural, values that are so very different, they're really upside down. And here, what we see Jesus doing in this section on worry is going after experience. Jesus wants to change your experience, your heart, your life. So Jesus is coming at us from the inside out. And what he tells us is to live an upside-down kingdom life means we will have a qualitative, quantitatively different experience because of our union in Christ. Now don't misunderstand when Jesus commands three times, do not worry, in verses 25, 31, and 34, three times, Jesus is not condoning their responsibility, okay? Jesus says, do not worry, not do not work hard. So what is worry? Why do we worry? How can we overcome worry? So today we're going to look at the what, the why, and the how. And let's start with what worry is. 
And let me begin by saying worry here isn't being under stress. Worry here in the sense that Jesus is using worry isn't having legitimate concerns, say, about your future or uh, your children or hitting your sales targets or finding a true friend or the health or the illness of a loved one. Like fear, worry in this sense, and, and I mean in a positive sense, is an internal warning that danger is near. And that's a good thing because it makes us alert, prayerful, and proactive. But Jesus isn't talking about worry in that sense here. Jesus is talking about when legitimate concerns cross some invisible line and become unbelief, mistrust. Uh, we see this under the surface maybe more explicitly in verse 32. Look at verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. According to Jesus, worry loses track of God's knowledge. God's faithfulness. God's presence. God's compassion. The worry Jesus is uh, talking about loses focus. It's unbelief. It crosses this line into unbelief. And it unpacks its bags and wants to move in, wants to convince us that God doesn't really care about us after all. I mean, look what you're going through. Now let me illustrate this with a story from the Old Testament. I'm going to spend some time on this story. 1,500 years, or let me just say 1,500 B.C., Israel finds itself having finally fled bondage and slavery in Egypt and now in the wilderness, in, in, in the desert wilderness. For some years earlier, God had begun to speak to Israel and promising Israel while Israel was undergoing acute suffering in Egypt, scrounging for food and clothes. God began to speak and promised Israel a new home. A land God described as good and spacious, overflowing with milk and honey. We know it as the promised land. Twenty times God repeats this promise to Israel. But the journey wasn't direct. After God miraculously parted the Red Sea and Israel finally escaped the threat of the Egyptian army, Israel didn't, now follow me, Israel didn't instantly enter the promised land. Israel walked out of bondage into a desert, a wilderness. And this is the way God works with each and every one of us. You receive Christ, 
but you are not instantly teleported into a life of comfort and ease, right? As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us that Israel's wanderings in the wilderness are a picture of the spiritual life. We are saved out of slavery to sin, bondage. We are heading toward heaven, but in between, we live in a wilderness characterized by trials and testing and temptation and worry. Uh, Now we come to the key. In Numbers 13, Moses, who's the leader of Israel, sends 12 spies into the promised land to check it out. Ten, they come back, and ten of those spies, riddled with worry, say to Israel, we can't go into the promised land. There's giants in the land. Uh, The fortified cities are too strong, too intact. Uh, We'll be defeated. Now everything they said, those ten spies said, was true. But in their hearts, in their experience, they had crossed that invisible worry line and were consumed by unbelief, mistrust. And so the ten urged Israel to turn back. But two of the men, men by the name of Joshua and Caleb, said, no, 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 full of faith. They said, we can go, we should go. We can take the land as God goes with us and God empowers us. Now suddenly Israel faces a test in the wilderness. Do we turn back in fear? Do we go forward in faith? And tragically, Israel turned back and worry won. It won. Worry, what is worry? Worry is when Your problems loom larger than God's promises. And that's when you know you cross this line, this invisible line into unbelief. So here in our passage in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, he means cling to the person and the promises of God despite your problems. Especially because of your problems. Now I wish I could say that I'm always like Joshua and Caleb, but I can't. I wish I could say that the promises of God loom larger than the problems of Rob, but I can't say that. I wish I could say I have such a a, um, a chronic vision of the glory of heaven, the promised land, that uh, problems here on earth seem small, but often it's just the opposite. I can't say that. How about you? Do your problems loom larger in your experience than the promises of God? 
When Jesus commands, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, he's pleading with you to be like the, the two, not the ten. As a matter of fact, of all the Israelites over the age of 20, when Israel turned back in fear in the wilderness, in the desert, only two, Joshua and Caleb, ever experienced the promised land. Now that's significant because we tend to think worry's no big deal. But Jesus here knows something we don't know. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. He knows that not only will worry make us miserable, but worry can kill us. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. So let's go on. What is worry? Uh, worry is when your problems loom larger than God's promises. So the question I want to ask next is, why do we worry? Uh, why is this such a, uh, a common thread in our experience? And go down to the last verse, verse 34. Jesus said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, he's telling us worry is anxiety about what we cannot control. Does everybody hear that? That's the rain. So I've just said that. Let's go on. Worry is anxiety about what we can't control. We can't control tomorrow. Therefore, what's underneath worry is a desire to control the uncontrollable. You worry because you're trying to control what you can't control. You can't control tomorrow. So we unintentionally want the power, we want the authority, we want the sovereignty that only God enjoys. Worry wants to be boss. It's like pride. Both contend for supremacy with God. Now where does this come from? Why are we like this? It comes from the Garden of Eden. So let me take you way back to the beginning of the Bible. God created the Garden of Eden. It was heaven on earth. And in chapter 2, in verses 16 and 17, God says to Adam and Eve, hey, you guys can eat from any tree in the garden that you want. But there's one tree, one tree, only one tree, uh, that you can't eat of. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, have you ever asked yourself the question, why did God do this? Why didn't God let Adam and Eve eat from every tree? After all, everything was perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. Adam and Eve walked with God. Why couldn't they have access to everything? Why this one tree, this one boundary? Well, look at how one author, Glenn Schievner, expresses it. Let's get this quote up there. 
Why this one boundary? Well, consider the alternative. If there was literally nothing humanity could do to demonstrate mistrust of God, then there would also be nothing they could do to demonstrate their trust of God. So with this tree, there is one opportunity to express their allegiance to God. It was very simple. They didn't have to go on a long pilgrimage or perform a list of tasks. They simply had to refrain from doing one thing. But even that one thing proved too much. The crisis in the Garden of Eden was a crisis of trust. The fundamental failure in the Garden of Eden was mistrust. Every temptation, every difficulty, every trial, every stressor in your life is a test. Will you trust God and his plan or not? What will you do? How will you respond? Adam and Eve disobeyed in the Garden of Eden because they couldn't trust God's control of their lives. What's underneath worry? Unbelief and control. And ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we do exactly the same. You see, worry is the fruit. Mistrust and our desire for control is the root. Worry reveals a lack of trust like adultery reveals a lack of love. So let me go on and spend the balance of our time wrestling with this important issue of how do we overcome. What does Jesus say? How can we evict worry and keep on evicting worry whenever it raises its ugly head and the small things, the middle-sized things, the, the big things. Uh, I want to summarize what Jesus offers here by pointing to two, three things that I believe Jesus is saying. And the first, the first way we overcome worry, the first way, and man, do I want you guys to get this. I don't want worry. I don't want you to stand before the Lord and, and the glory and the love and the forgiveness of God. Regret that you didn't live a life of faith. I want you to experience the fullness of the shared life in, in Jesus Christ. So the first thing Jesus says here is make God your God functionally experientially, in your heart, in your mind. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air and notice how God provides for them. You make God your God when you rest, according to Jesus, in the providence of God. Now, what is the providence of God? The providence of God is God's sovereign provision, God's sovereign control, that God, the creator of all things, reigns and rules over all things. 
And he provides for all according to his good pleasure. And the word look, as in look at the birds, is a key word here. It's an important word because the word look doesn't mean just glance at. It means think, ponder, consider, dwell upon the providence of God. Jesus is saying, think about the fact that if God so lovingly superintends and provides food for the birds, how much more so will he do the same for his children who believe in him, who he has created in his image, who he sent his one and only son to die for? How will God not provide? Look, Jesus says. Look and think about God's provision, God's providence. Now, in other words, worry is the absence of thinking. If you're worrying, you're not thinking about God's providence. Faith, therefore, isn't turning your mind off. It's turning your mind on. Uh, so you think, you think about what God is saying to you through nature and especially through God's word. You look. You think. Now, I, I know I sound really weird. I mean, who's going to get up from... Uh, you know, a family meal, a meal with friends, and say, hey, you know, I'm going to go outside because i got to look at the sparrows. Hey, hey, Mom, what's wrong with Dad? Why did he just do that? But that's precisely Jesus' point. We don't take the time to consider, to think. And we don't press back against the emotion of worry by talking to our worries. Instead, we just listen to our worries. And so we don't say, you know, worry, God has done this for the birds. God's going to take care of me. Get out of here. And we don't use the word of God. Now, I, I don't know how it is for you, but I want to tell you, I could never have gotten through uh, the the tragedy of my first wife's cancer and death if I didn't cling to Psalm 103 and verse 19. Over and over, I push back against my worries by saying, repeating the psalm, saying it out loud this verse, God has established his throne in the heavenlies and his sovereignty rules over all. All. I did the same with Romans 8.28. And God works all things uh, together with, uh, for good. I did it with Ephesians 1.11, a bunch of uh, uh, other passages. And letting my, instead of letting my worries speak to me, I spoke to my worries. And that's exactly, it's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do when he says, look. He's saying, use your minds. Push back by filling your mind with the wonder of the pro sovereign providence of God. Now, now let me just take a, a, a sidebar here. 
To say that God's sovereignty rules over all, is that fatalism? Does that mean we are robots? No. Look with me at Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. Acts chapter 2 records Pentecost. Peter is preaching to the Jews, the hostile Jews. And in verse 23, as you see, he says, This man, that would be Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, can you imagine the boldness here? But Peter is saying two things relative to Jesus' crucifixion. First of all, from the very beginning, it was a part of God's deliberate plan. It was part of God's foreknowledge. And then the second thing he says, but you were the ones because of your wickedness that crucified him. Now, I say this to say that when it comes to the providence of God, the Bible is very sophisticated. You and I are not robots. We make choices. That's the point here. But God is 100% sovereign and we are 100% responsible. And here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is saying, until you believe in the total sovereignty of God, it's impossible for you to functionally deal with your anxiety. Look at how God provides. Rest in him. Make God your God by pressing his sovereignty, his goodness into your heart. Now Jesus says the same thing differently in verse 28. When he says, do you see, do you see, do you really see the wildflowers? And how God adorns them in this beauty. I mean, not even Solomon, Jesus says, uh, uh, in all his beauty and glory could compare So when Jesus says, look at the birds, he means, man, you rest in the providence of God. When he says, see the wildflowers, Jesus is saying, you rest in the love of God. The way he is adorned. Why? Because when we worry, we are thinking God doesn't care. We are, 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 are thinking God isn't there. We're thinking God often is punishing us. And Jesus says, time out. No, man, don't miss this. Not only is God sovereign over you, but God so loves you, he adorns you. What in the world does that mean? Well, it means the moment you come to Jesus Christ, he gives you the Holy Spirit so you will experience life in Jesus Christ. Jesus now, through the Spirit, lives inside you so you can experience him. And he gives you wonderful gifts and uh, uh, abilities and a calling. Uh, every bit as important as any pastor or any missionary. Why? So you can serve him. And Paul tells us in Ephesians that he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. So we can enjoy him. We can be content in him. We can be at peace in the fact every spiritual blessing is mine. So why do you worry? Why do I worry? Jesus is saying, make God your God. Rest in his providence. Rest in his love. Now let's go on. The second thing Jesus says here, and I'll be really brief on this one, is the way you and I overcome worry is by never being surprised by our troubles. 
This is the last sentence in verse uh, 24 here. Or 34, I mean. Um, Each day has enough trouble of its own. (laughs) To be free from worry and free from trouble is not the same thing. God uses trouble to grow you, to hone you, to chisel you, to refine you, to make you like his son. I find it very interesting that God begins this section on worry by talking about the providence and the love of God and concludes, Jesus concludes by talking about trouble. And the word trouble is literally evil. Each day has enough evil of its own. Begins with the sovereignty and the, and the uh, love of God and concludes with evil. They are not mutually exclusive. Uh, don't divorce them in your mind. And third and finally, Jesus calls us here to seek him. To seek Jesus. This is verse 33. When Jesus says... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus is saying, seek me. Jesus is the center of God's kingdom through his perfect life and perfect death. He is the fulfillment of all uh, righteousness, the source of all righteousness. But in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says seek, he's not saying, okay, you buck up and try harder. I, I mean, we can't do this on our own. Rather, Jesus means, and now I'm going to go back to the first couple Beatitudes. Uh, 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 Jesus means you admit your spiritual poverty, your inadequacy, your desire to be in control, to control things that are uncontrollable. Uh, You admit your struggle with worry. You're poor in spirit. You're humble. And then second, You look away. This is the seek Jesus part. You look away uh, from yourself and you live in light of the death and resurrection of of Jesus and the fact that Jesus now is in you and you are in in Jesus. And so as you go to work tomorrow or you do your thing tomorrow or when you're in your life groups discussing these passages or when you're at the table with your, your family or you're with friends or you're reading the Bible, what are you doing? You're seeking Jesus. I mean, you're intentional about it. And you're rejoicing and resting and giving yourself to recalling the wonder of Jesus because the point of communion is it's too easy to forget. I'll conclude with this. A pastor was on an airplane and they hit major turbulence. It was so bad. Have you ever experienced this? That the plane dropped several times? Everybody on the plane was worried. The pastor was worried, wondering if he was going to make it. And then he looked across the aisle, and there was a little girl, maybe 10 years old, who had her headphones on, was smiling, was singing, and was completely calm. And he was dying. So when they landed, he went up to her, or he went to her, and he said, why in the world were you so calm in the midst of all this turbulence? We were all worried to death. And she said, oh, my daddy's the pilot. 
and he's taken me home. Jesus is your pilot, and he's taking you home. And the turbulence of storms will come. But we mitigate worry. We push back against worry. When we think about, we stop and think about the fact, we think about the reality that no one endured the storm Jesus endured when he suffered and died in our place for our sins. And if Jesus endured that storm for you, he will get you through your storm. So if you've never done so, come to Jesus. And if you're in the midst of a worry right now, push against it and and, and cling and recover and, and return to Jesus. Because Christianity is never merely something we believe, it's something we experience. Do not worry. Let's pray. Father, would you drive this Would you drive the wonder of these kind and gentle words into our experience? Would you give us that grace? Amen.